This is Joshua Bell with a Kilt in the Cloth. This was my sermon from August 15th with my daughter Madeline Bell reading the scripture. I hope you enjoy. God bless. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. 15 through 20. <clears throat> Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. this moment, Paul is writing to this church in the first century in such a way that's really kind of rushed. As I was telling my Sunday school class at the 815 service, Paul is thinking about life in such a way that it's, that the Messiah is coming, not tomorrow, not, not in the next week, but in the next second, the very next few moments, Jesus is going to come walking through that door, and it's his job to prepare all of us for what we are supposed to be doing in the name of God through Jesus Christ. This is a big, big ask. And what he does with this is he gives us this to-do list in less than 30 seconds and says, this is what you have to do, because if, if there's anything that I can teach you, this is it. The writer gives nothing in detail. He just dots the words or phrase, puts it down, it's like this. Be careful. Live not as unwise, but wise. Make the most of the time. Don't be foolish, he says. Understand. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Sing and make melody and give thanks. Not sure how this is supposed to make this work, but he, he's trying to make sure that he puts it all together in a single idea in the ways that he's trying to say to them, be careful how you live. We typically refer to this as a triadic construction in, when we're in the aspect of studying Scripture. He breaks it down into three things. The knots, verses 15 through 18. Don't do this, don't do that. The second part of this is the types of music. Hymns, psalms, and the scriptures, or the spiritual psalms. And then that last part, verses 19 through 20, he gives us worship cues on what to do and how to do it. Now, of course, I spent the majority of my adult life studying the history of hymns and how they came into being and, and why we sing the hymns that we do. And in our own history, in the aspect of Protestantism, we have two massive big hitters, John and Charles Wesley. Now those guys could write forever. And believe it or not, at the early times of the writing of hymns, they didn't think four verses was ever enough. I want you to hear me say that. 
that four verses was not enough. They wrote hymns that could have eight, nine, sometimes ten verses. And here's the thing that was interesting about the early church is that when we talk about how they would sing hymns, they would sing hymns in such a way that they sang every single verse to every single hymn in the worship service. So if you had three hymns, which is typical, right? You had to sing all nine verses of all three hymns. Oh yeah, and then there's a sermon. Oh yeah, and then there's communion. And then the invitation. All of that in one worship service. Uh, you could see why we now have uh, five verses. I used to joke about this, that in the creation of the Christian church, disciples of Christ, I think Alexander and Thomas Campbell, being good Presbyterian young men, decided that when they started writing our own hymnals, they said the phrase, if we can't get it done in five verses, we're rambling. But even today, we still struggle with how many verses of hymns that we sing. But for them, the words mattered in the aspect of hymns. Everything about it. You see, the part that we struggle with in today's culture is, is we, we just like everything to be happy and uplifting all the time. And, and, and everything about it needs to feel good. And hymns were kind of like sermons. This is a way for people to be able to profess their faith through song. Sometimes it took four verses. Sometimes, even in Martin Luther's case, where he has some hymns that have 15 verses. You're welcome. In those moments, if it takes four and it takes 15, it didn't matter. Now, the part that's funny is, all of those hymns, uh, in the aspect of our life, the only time that you ever start struggling with it is because when we start to change the hymn, because somehow we went from singing psalms into singing hymns. So let's talk about psalms and come back to them. Psalms have been a part of worship from the very beginning, as far as we can tell, all the way to at least 1,000 B.C. And what I mean by that is, is what would happen is they were called psalters. And somebody would stand up, and you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but every Sunday when you do the call to worship, we are participating in an act of worship that's been going on Longer than Christianity, the responsive reading of those psalms. Everybody always asks, why do we do that? Well, it's because it's a part of all of our understanding for those that worship God. And what would happen would be, the reader would say it, the first verse, and because you all had it memorized, notice how I said that, you all had it memorized, you would repeat the response. Then the reader would say another part, and then you would read the next verse from memory, and it would go on and on until you got through the psalm. And then at the very end, or in the middle, there would be a musical interlude. I like to read. But that moment was us together as church singing what's called a psalter. We would sing a phrase together, and the community was as one. No instrumentation, no aspects of any extra music, nothing was written down, all it was was an of our faith taken from the book of Psalms. So why do we do the call to worship? Because it's going on in our understanding of God for thousands of years. Am I going to start adding music to that? Not today, but 
Who knows? Maybe in the future. So in these moments, they were never written down like that because everybody had it from memory. And when we started putting hymns together on paper, <laughs> what happens? Well, it becomes Bible. Well, we're not singing it the way that I was brought up. That was completely wrong. But in their culture, in the times of Martin Luther and Alexander Campbell and John and Charles Wesley, it was nothing for somebody to come in and say, I'm going to change this hymn to do this. I like the melody. I like the melody. The melody works and everybody knows it. So we're going to start doing this. For example, John Wesley even says, when you sing, these, these are his words, mind you. Not the church, but John Wesley, the writer of probably the most amount of hymns next to Martin Luther and his brother Charles. He says, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing himself, him, pleasing him more than yourself. Set, see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve. And think how this works. In the last part of his conversation that he's having with the church at Ephesus, he says you should sing spiritual songs. Because in his time, they still had songs. They were just now starting to write him. Actually, one of the very first writers in Philippians chapter 2, just a sidebar, he has one of the very first examples of what it would have looked like to have a hymn in the first century. You all want to go look at it? Philippians chapter 2. That's your. So anyway, going back to this. He knew that they had spiritual songs. Believe it or not, there are people that back then would be walking around the street, probably not singing this exact song, but they would have the songs that we knew as children, such as, this loves me. Now that might not have been the song that they had, but just like you, you have spiritual songs that speak something to your faith. I remember growing up that Father Abraham was one of my favorite children's church songs, right? Mainly because you did the with the left arm and the right arm, and then you did the circle, and then eventually your tongue was sticking out, and, and then you had to do a circle, right? It was the best thing ever. I couldn't wait. You had to yell. You know, it was, you know you're all thinking it. This music is a piece of our soul. It's supposed to bring us closer to God. It gives us an outward expression of our faith. The point, when you get to it, the words on the page have to matter, not just to me, but to everyone in the pews. And not just that person in that pew, it has to matter to all those in the pews. It makes sense then, when he's talking about being careful, living carefully, that he starts off with this idea to live not as unwise, but to be lived as wise. Make most of the time that we share together. When we live carefully, it doesn't mean that we hide under a rock. It means that we sing to the from the depths of our soul out to the world. 
every song that we sing from our hearts becomes temporary. I want to make sure you hear me say that. Every song that we sing that comes from our heart is contemporary. Because contemporary, the musician's mind is today. What is the song that speaks to our soul today? I remember when I was a kid, we would go to churches, and there's always that one song that everybody knows, right? At some point or another. When I was a kid, that song was, if I can... I got the number right. If I remember right, it was 227. Ah! Did get it right. No, I didn't test it. That's In the Garden. In the Garden. You all remember this song? Got this beautiful song to it. And I, I loved it because, remember, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. In that moment, it's like I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And then my favorite part about this when I was a kid was this when we'd get to the chorus, because a lot of people don't know that this happens and that you do it. It gets to the, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am. Right? But when you start to do it, in almost every single church I've ever been in, when we get to that part, the church sways in rhythm and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me and you see head bobs and you see people starting to move with this song and then all of a sudden everybody's like oh i didn't do that yes you did i saw it it's it's one of those beautiful things that when you're filled with that moment of spirit that you do it and you don't even know that it's happening and for us, that can come in many different ways with music and worship. But to live careful, we need to be careful of that part that he's talking about. Do not be drunk. Do not be drunk. This is a big deal. You see, for him in the first century, he's not talking that you can't have a glass of wine. He's talking about the excess in the world that we live in. He's talking about an alternative to what Rome is doing. What is Rome doing? Well, when they have a good day, everybody in the room gets drunk. And bad things happen. To drink in excess to a point where everybody in the room is living in a world of debauchery. Because you don't make good choices when everyone in the room is drinking. Nothing good comes from that. He could be just as good about saying that and change the word from drunk to not be greedy. If the whole world is eating itself, who gets fed? The problem Paul is talking about. So when we're talking about living carefully, we need to be figuring out what it is that fills us. Not the things of the world that we have so much of excess in. It has to be the things of God. And he gives you a, an opportunity to know what those look like. Psalms, hymns spiritual song a way to connect the world through God different conversation altogether but you have to be careful how you do that too 
I remember the very first time I was asked to sing at church, I was 15 years old. By Betty Bog Blackman. Never forget that. My goodness, a tyrant. She was the hardest voice teacher I ever had. But I remember when she asked me to do it because she could hear me singing in the back of the sanctuary with my brothers because my mom made us sing. Didn't have a choice. But when I was growing up, my mom was a professional musician. She was a classical guitarist, and there would be times that she would play in front of thousands of people. I remember one time that we were in Seattle, and she was singing with an orchestra and the Fort Worth uh, orchestra, and I remember thinking as a kid, oh, I want to do that, because I wanted the applause. Oh, my goodness. I remember my mom would get done singing, and you, if you looked at her just the right way, at the end of her song, she would say the phrase, look down. Now, I, you know, when it's your mom, you don't really pay attention, right? You're just thinking, okay, well, my mom just got a whole bunch of people to applaud her, I want that. So when Benny Bob asked me at 15 years old, can I sing at church? I'm like, you betcha. I want everybody to applaud me. I want to be the center of attention for a second. And I remember it very clearly because there's a reason that this ear is bigger than the other. right? I remember my mom grabbing a hold of this ear and saying, come here, I'm going to talk to you for a second. Yeah. And she says to me, she says, son, you sing for the applause. You're doing this for the wrong reason. What do you mean? She says, if you're doing this for your benefit, if you're doing this to, and I'm adding on to it because my mom didn't mince words, so there's a, that was it. If there's no applause, you just, you just done. Do not sing for the applause. That's all she said. But in my head, I heard, if I sing for the applause, and I'm not singing for the glory of God, then I'm doing it wrong. And of course, I sang for the applause. It wasn't until I got older, much older, that I realized that I can use my aspects of my life as debauchery. So I remember very clearly when I realized what my mom had said to me about using the gifts that God had given to me. And all of a sudden, the aspect of singing changed its form. You know, I, I don't sing at church just because I want the applause anymore. I have to feel called to it. I have to feel like it's something that God has asked me to do. Not because, oh, we, we want to hear you sing, Josh. Well, I, I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me, but this is a gift that God has given to me that I have to use because... I've got to make joyful noise to God, not for the applause. So I started practicing like my mom. Don't tell her that I told you this. Because then I get the uh, I told you so conversation. And I realized that if I was going to sing, I needed to make sure that it was like a, a form of prayer. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but at the end of every time I sing, I say the same thing my mom did. Amen. Because I love you, but I'm not singing for you. I'm singing for the glory of God. So it can happen, you see, even with your own spiritual gifts, 
have to be careful on the ways that you walk. Do not be drunk in your own self. Allow God to fill you with that spirit so that when you sing, when you make melody, and that when you give thanks, do it to the glory of God, not the applause. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.